Let's pray together. O Lord, this is your word. And though this is a story that we may not want to encounter this morning, there's a lot here for us. And so I pray, O Lord, that you would help us, that you would help us, O Lord, to engage with your word by the power of your spirit and that we would be changed through this encounter. Would you help us, O Lord, to see the glory that that is revealed here of yourself? And would you help us to learn what we need to learn? And would you help us, Lord, to be more like you, following you more faithfully, a closer walk of discipleship with you because of this encounter with your word? By your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would do this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. It was interesting for me this week to take a look at our church's statement of faith and to see again how much our church's statement of faith draws from from these early chapters of Genesis. Uh, Article 7 in our statement of faith says, We believe that the triune God created everything, both physical and spiritual, out of nothing. We believe God created human beings, male and female, in his own image and likeness, and therefore with unique intrinsic worth from conception to natural death. That's all material that we've seen from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Article 8 of our statement of faith says, We believe Adam and Eve experienced perfect relationship with their creator and were appointed stewards of God's originally good creation. We believe they sinned by choosing to disobey God and thereby brought death to the human race. That's all material that we've studied in chapter 3. Then Article 9 of our Statement of Faith says, We believe that all people are sinners by nature and by choice. So that's reflecting this truth that when Adam sinned, he pulled the whole human race down with him. If you doubt that, if you struggle with that idea that we are all sinners just inherently because we're Adam's descendants, I encourage you to spend some time with little children. Uh, you could volunteer at childcare. Josh just talked about childcare we have during the, the sermon here, age two to preschool. That's a great age to get to know some cute little sinners. And I think if you, if you were to spend time with kids, you'd find out very quickly that, that we are born sinners. No one has to teach children to sin. We have three kids. Uh, none of them have been great eaters. It's another reason I don't believe in evolution. They have no survival instinct whatsoever. But our last child in particular would refuse to eat almost anything that wasn't on a very small list of favorites. And Amy and I always wondered how much of this was deliberate, how much of this was just because she was just young. We found out one night, a month shy of her third birthday, She was sitting at the table by herself. We were coaching her to finish up a very small portion of supper that we had given her, which was not from her favorite list. 
And her brothers were off playing by themselves because they had already finished. And we were telling her, you know, if you, if you finish, you can go play with them. And she looks up at her mom, okay? She's a month shy of being three, so she's still two. She looks up and she says, you know, mom, if you put bacon in all of my food, I would eat it faster. Like, can you believe that? Like, can you believe that? I still almost can't. We wrote it down. If you put bacon in my food, I'd eat it faster. She knew exactly what was going on. She, she totally had cased the situation, and she was trying to manipulate us. You know, she's not even three. No one has, no one has to teach us to do that kind of stuff. We are Adam's offspring. We're born with a nature that worships ourself instead of God. We're we're born needing redemption. The story of Cain and Abel shows us this truth in spades. It shows us this truth so clearly. Adam and Eve sinned, and the sin did not stop with them. And by the time we get to this fourth chapter in Genesis, we see one of their sons, Cain, their firstborn, displaying a whole list of, of sinful attitudes, behaviors, not just murder, but leading up to and including that. But as we dig into this passage, we're going to see that that's not actually the surprising part. The fact that Adam and Eve had two little sinners is not the surprising part. The surprising part of this passage is, is, is way better than that. And it comes at the end, and we're going to get there. But here's, how, here's our, our plan for this morning. Is, is This passage, I've broken it down into seven steps or, or seven episodes um, and, and so here they are. There's the brothers in verses 1 and 2, the offering, verses 3 to 5, the warning in verses 6 to 7, the murder in verse 8, the confrontation in verse 9, 10, the curse in verse 11, 12, and then finally the mercy in verses 13 to 16. If you take a notes, you didn't get that all down, don't worry, I'm going to spell it out. So we're just going to walk through, we're going to look at each of these steps in the story, and and for most of them, there's going to be a lesson there for us to learn, and all of it's building up to the really, really best news of all, the best lesson that that comes at the end. So let's jump in and consider the brothers in verses 1 and 2. What does verse 1 tell us? Now, Adam knew his wife. It's clearly a a phrase for, for something else that's going on there, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Okay, so Cain in Hebrew sounds like the word for gotten or received. And so she names him in celebration of the fact that, hey, I got a son, I got a man. This moment, can you imagine how exciting this would have been for Adam and Eve? Like, despite the curse, despite their sin, life was going on, right? Like a new generation, a new hope. That's not a Star Wars reference. Literally, just a new hope. And, and yeah, there would have been pain in, in childbearing, right? But at least there was a child. I just, I, I can't imagine what this would have been like for them. And maybe, maybe this was the promised offspring. Maybe this was the, the, the child that God had promised who would come and crush the head of the serpent. Why not? Cain's birth would have been just an amazing moment for for the two of them. And then we read verse 2. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Do you notice any differences there between what we're told about Cain and what we're told about Abel? Right? Cain, lots of celebration, a name. Here's why we named him Abel. Oh, yeah, by the way, there was also another kid. Abel's name 
means like breath of, of, of like a vapor, a puff of wind. Basically means like meaningless. That's what his name means. So we're not sure what went wrong there. But we see quite a difference here between celebrated child and like, oh yeah, then there was Abel. Cain keeps the ground, works the ground. He carries on the family tradition. Abel is kind of different. He takes care of sheep. We're not sure what they thought about that. And if we were reading this story for the first time, we would expect Cain to be the hero of the story. that's That's what I'm suggesting. Abel doesn't even say anything in this whole story. Do you notice that as we read it together? Doesn't even say a thing. And then he dies. Cain gets all the screen time. But like we're about to read, or we just read and we're about to explore more, is that Abel was accepted by God. Cain wasn't. So here's actually our first lesson. Would you rather be a Cain or an Abel? Would you rather be celebrated by people or accepted by God? Sometimes we don't have a choice, right? Cain didn't choose to be the favored son. Sometimes we do have a choice. Like Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, going and praying on the street corners. Would you rather be chosen by or accepted by men, celebrated by by people? Or would you rather be an able, maybe unknown, but known by God and accepted by him? It's a really important question. Maybe it's a comfort for you. Maybe you're the person in your family who feels like an able. Who cares about me? Well, God does. So this is our first step in the story, the brothers. Second step, the offerings. Verse 3 to 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. This is really interesting. Adam and Eve have been sent away from the garden, away from God's presence, but apparently they're still in some relationship with God, and they somehow know that it's appropriate for them to bring God an offering. We're not sure what's all going on here, but somehow they knew this is what you're supposed to do. So Cain brings God an offering from what he had produced, right? He worked the ground, so he brings God some of what he had produced. Same with Abel. Abel works with the flocks, sheep, goats, and brings God some of that. And God accepted Abel and his offering. But what does verse 5 tell us? But for Cain and his offering, he had, he had no regard. It's like it meant nothing. We weren't expecting that, hey? That the favored son, Cain, he wouldn't be accepted. This probably, if we were reading it for the first time, would feel like a, like a plot twist. God accepts worthless boy's offering. And doesn't accept Cain's. So why? Why does God accept Abel's but not, not Cain's? Some people think it has to do with the, the offering itself. Like God preferred plants instead of, or sorry, God preferred the, the flock, the animals instead of plants. But that's probably not the case. Each of them just brought what they had produced. But look carefully. If you've got your Bible here, look really carefully at what these words actually say 
halfway through verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So do you see there that the issue isn't so much the offering as much as the person? God saw the person behind the offering. God saw the heart that was bringing that offering forward. Hebrews 11.4 in the New Testament says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable offering than more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. God could see that Abel had faith. Abel actually believed God. Cain was just going through the motions. Assumedly, Cain didn't have faith. From the outside, would you have been able to tell the difference? Maybe not. Two guys, both bringing God an offering, probably look great. But God could see to their hearts. And God could see that Abel had faith and Cain was just practicing empty religion. So here's a lesson for us from this second part of the story. God sees our hearts. And we might be able to fool other people by being religious, but we can't fool God. God, here's another way that we can state this lesson here. God hates empty religion. Amos chapter 5, he says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Can you imagine God saying that to us? Like, stop that noise. But but what he's talking to there is people who were doing what Cain did. They looked religious on the outside, but their hearts were far away from God. And God can see, and God hates that. You can impress people by looking religious, but you can't impress God. So the, the, the lesson for us coming out of here is to put it in the form of a question. Are you a Cain or are you an Abel? Even this morning, are you going through the motions while your heart is somewhere else? I might not be able to tell. No one else here might be able to tell, but God can. God's not fooled by looking religious. But the good news here is that if you do have a heart of faith that that just takes God at his word, Believes what he said. God notices that. And other people might not notice you or pay attention to you once again, but God sees. Here's the third stop this morning. The warning. Verse 6 tells us that the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God sees that Cain is not happy. He sees anger instead of softness. He sees his face going down in sadness instead of looking up to heaven to say, I'm so sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Notice that, right? Cain doesn't repent. 
He just gets grumpy. And so God comes and asks him a question, right? Just like, just like with Adam, when God said, where are you? Right? He asks a question to, to draw the person out, give them a chance to respond. But, but do you also notice here that by asking this question, God is making a very subtle point, is that Cain had no good reason to be angry or downcast. Cain had no good reason to be angry. I was like, well, why are you angry? It's like when you say to someone, what are you doing here? It's like, you're basically saying you shouldn't be here, right? It's like, why are you angry, Cain? What happened, essentially, was Cain's own fault. And then what God says in verse 7 is, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Like, basically, Cain, if you had brought a good sacrifice, I would have accepted it. And even now, if you change your heart and do what's right, I would accept that. So get mad at yourself. That, I'm filling in a lot of words here, but that, that, that's the, the, the idea behind God's question. I just want to pause here and, and point out how different these words are with what we often see today, let's say when we turn on the news or scroll around Facebook. Today, if one of us was talking to Cain, you know, if, if one of us had Cain had brought something to and we rejected it and Cain got upset, you know what one of us today would probably say to him? Oh, Cain, I see you're, you're, you're angry and your face has fallen. I... Oh, I guess I guess when I didn't accept your sacrifice, that must have, must have really hurt you. I'm, I'm so sorry for offending you, Cain. You know your sacrifice was it wasn't all that bad. Like you know you made an effort. Good job. Please please don't be angry with me any longer. You see what I'm getting at here? Today, if we again look around at the kind of ways that people are talking on the internet and on the news, is if someone feels bad about something we've said or done. If we hurt someone's feelings, we're expected to apologize whether or not we've actually done something wrong. Because in much of the Western world today, people's feelings are more important than the truth. How you feel is more important than what's real. But what if we haven't done something wrong? What if someone gets offended and upset and it's, it's not our fault, it's actually their fault? Like, like what happened here with Cain? Well, then, then we should do what God does and we should not apologize. But we should lovingly try to help them see the truth because according to God's word, the truth is more important than our feelings. Now, it's not as if our feelings don't matter at all. Please don't hear me saying that. Because God notices Cain's feelings, okay? God notices that Cain was angry and depressed, and God talks to him about it. So God doesn't ignore how Cain feels, but God essentially tells Cain, you shouldn't be feeling that way. And if you do, it's, 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 it's your own fault, God shows him that his feelings were out of step with the truth. So here's how we can put it. God did not just want Cain to feel better. God wanted Cain to be better, to do better. Cain's feelings needed to line up behind the truth and not the other way around. 
And so God goes on to, to warn Cain, right? So first of all, God confronts him. Right? Why are you angry and upset, right? And then he warns him about what's happening, what will happen if he keeps on listening to his feelings. Look at the rest of verse 7. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary against you, but you must rule over it. God can see that, that, that Cain is vulnerable to the temptations that come when we're angry and upset and sad. Right? When we're in that spot, we're, we're vulnerable. God can see that. God, God, God warns him, and he describes sin like a wild animal, crouched, ready to pounce, wanting to overpower Cain. And so Cain has to fight against this sin if he's going to make it out of this alive or if his brother's going to make it out of this alive. And how did Cain respond to God's warning, God's questions? God asked Cain some questions here. Why are you angry? Why are you upset? How does Cain respond? He doesn't. He just gives God the silent treatment. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything. And God warns him, Cain, you've got to fight back against this sin. And what does Cain do? Nothing. He ignores the warning. It reminds me about a story I heard of, of a woman who was on an, an African safari where they would drive you up really close to like where these big cats were, like lions or cheetahs, and let you take pictures through the window. There's a big warning inside. Do not leave the vehicle. This lady thought what many of us think. You know, that warning, that's for everybody else. But I'm going to be careful. I'll be fine. So she gets out with her camera and walks closer and closer to these lions, crouches down, takes some pictures. I'm sure they were awesome pictures. She turned around and walked back to the car. One of the cats got up, chased her, and mauled her to death in front of what I believe was her family back in the vehicle watching her being eaten alive. Isn't that what we so often do? We do what Cain does. God warns us, and we go, yeah, but I kind of think I know better. And we do what we want to do. We ignore the warning. We think that we're the one person on planet Earth who can play with fire and not be burned. Sometimes literally. I remember as a three-year-old at my aunt's cabin, heated by a wood stove, my mom walked me over to the wood stove and said, Chris, this is hot. Do not touch it. And I said, okay. And cried for the rest of the night with the blistered palm. And we, we do that all throughout life, don't we? Maybe it makes sense for a three-year-old, but shouldn't we know by now that when God warns us, we should listen can you play with lions and not get eaten? No matter how old you are, don't play games with sin. That's, that's, the, that's the lesson from this part of the story. When God warns us, listen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, says Romans 8.13. If you just do whatever your body wants, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. When God warns, listen to the warning.
The next step here in our passage is the murder. Verse 8. Cain did not listen to God's warning. He did not take it seriously. And instead of responding to God's questions, what does he do in verse 8? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose against his brother Abel and killed him. This is what happens when we don't take God's warnings seriously. This is what happens when you follow your heart. Cain was following his heart. And he killed his brother. That's why that, all that advice given, you know, in kids' movies and stuff, say, oh, just follow your heart. That's nuts. Seriously, it's nuts. Your heart is sinful. You need to ask Jesus to lead your heart towards him. Following your heart, you're going to end up with a brother in a crumpled, bloody heap at your feet. This is what happens when we follow our feelings. This is what happens when we feed anger and act on that anger instead of putting that anger to death. This is what happens when we don't deal with sin properly. There's something else going on here with, with Cain and Abel. It's, it's this human behavior that's sometimes called scapegoating. When someone makes us feel bad, rather than saying, you know, what can I learn from this? Is there something I need to hear? Could I be wrong? Do I need to say sorry? Right? Instead of that kind of stuff, when someone makes us feel bad or makes us feel guilty, we just get rid of that person who makes us feel bad. We blame them and we get rid of them. I want to be careful with this word scapegoating because sometimes I've heard people who are scapegoating saying, no, you're scapegoating me and it becomes this whole thing and it's not what I'm, I'm wanting to get into here but just here's a very simple thing. Abel made Cain feel bad and Cain's solution was just get rid of Abel. Get rid of the guy that makes me feel bad. Again, kids do this. You took my toy, punch in the nose, right? This kind of thing happens in our culture today. You may have heard of cancel culture, right? Where if you say something offensive, you just get basically digitally murdered. This kind of thing happens in abortion clinics around our country every single day. The innocent party gets literally murdered for someone else's mistake. Do you know abortion is the leading cause of death in Canada? 30% of all deaths. The blood of the innocent. It's exactly what Cain did to Abel here. Someone's in a tough spot, and rather than dealing with it, they get rid of the innocent party. And we know what this is like, even on smaller scales, right? Someone makes us feel a little bit guilty, a little bit uncomfortable, so we just avoid them. We just write them out of our life. So we can't point fingers at Cain here. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? Like Josh preached for us back in January? That when we let anger go in our hearts, that's as bad as murder in God's books. The next step in our story, I think, I didn't put numbers here, I think we're on to number five, is the confrontation. Can you imagine... Cain's burning conscience. Like, you know that feeling when you've done something wrong and you, and you can't go back? Imagine, like, going so far as to kill your brother and he's dead. Just, just imagine how, how, how Cain would have felt. 
And God comes after him. God draws near and asks him a question again. God starts, seems always by asking questions. Where is Abel your brother? Cain knew exactly where Abel was, right where he left him. But what does Cain say? I, I, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> He's talking smack to God. It's almost hard to believe. Am I supposed to be guarding my brother? It's not my problem. That's what he's saying. When instead of guarding his brother, he just killed his brother. He does not respond very well to God's confrontation. Please notice again, God is giving him a chance to repent. When God confronts us for our sin, he's always giving us a chance. And Cain wastes that chance. Cain is so out of line here. And when we understand how out of line Cain is to murder your brother and then talk smack to God, that we should be amazed at what comes next. Because what should come next? What did Cain deserve? Here's what should come next. And the Lord put Cain to death. That's what should come next. That's what Cain deserved. End of story. But instead we see, just like with Adam and Eve, God does not end their life. He prolongs it, but with a curse. A curse that reminded him about his sin. And the Lord said, verse 10, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. What a poetic picture. What a gruesome picture. And now listen to this. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. This was Cain's whole livelihood, working the ground. And now God says, it's not going to happen, Cain. You're going to plant stuff and it's not going to grow. And so Cain now goes from being a farmer to to being basically a a hunter-gatherer, just wandering around, foraging stuff. Quite a curse. This would have been so hard for him to take away his whole livelihood, the only thing that he knew how to do. A devastating blow. That's the curse. But notice again here, just like with Adam and Eve's curse, notice the mercy that Cain was not being killed. God was giving him life. And this curse was a daily reminder of what he had did, giving him the chance to repent. And what should Cain say to this? Okay, we move on to the last stop in our story. What should Cain say to this? He should say, God, thank you so much for sparing my life. This is so much more than I deserve. I don't deserve to be breathing right now. I deserve to be dead like my brother. And you're letting me live? Thank you so much. So Cain should say, but instead, (laughs) more cheek almost, verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. 
I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Right? If one of his other family members, we're going to see next week, there were more family members, and if they found him, they would kill him to, 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 to have justice be done. And God, what could God say? Yeah, Cain, that's exactly what you deserve. But notice God's mercy. Notice God's mercy. Then the Lord said to him, verse 15, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So we don't know what this mark was, but whatever it was, when, when people saw it, at this point it was all his family, when they saw it, they would know, don't touch this guy. And this is mercy. Mercy. God doesn't just extend Cain's life, right? So Cain deserves to die. God doesn't just extend his life. God now protects his life. This is unbelievable. And so verse 16 says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And on one hand, this is really sad because off he goes to live by himself. But on the other hand, guys, he's alive. He's alive. And he has a life ahead of him. And I want to suggest that of everything we've seen in the story, this is the most amazing and the most surprising thing. This mercy of God is what should really surprise us here. It should not surprise us that Adam and Eve had sinful sons. That shouldn't be a surprise. It should not surprise us that Cain practiced empty religion. We know what that's like. We've probably all done it at some point in our lives. You know, standing, singing the songs in church while our minds are thinking about other stuff. We know what that's like. It should not surprise us that Cain ignored God's warnings. Because again, we've done that. We've, we've been warned about sin and we've put our hand on the burner instead. It should not surprise us that Cain followed his heart into a really bad spot. We've done that. It should not surprise us that Cain went so far as to murder his brother because I think each of us, deep down inside, if we're honest, know that if we were put in a spot where we weren't afraid of getting caught and we were mad enough, we could do that. It shouldn't surprise us to see Cain being rude to God. Haven't haven't we been in similar spots But what should surprise us is that Cain is still alive by the time we get to the end of the story. That should surprise us. That he's alive, breathing, being given another day and another day and another day and another chance to turn from his sin and repent. Behold God's patience. Behold God's patience. And by the way, behold just means look. (laughs) Look here at how patient God is. God's grace is really amazing, isn't it? And you and I this morning have so much more reason to be amazed because we know so much more than Cain. We know so much more than simply being allowed to live. We know that from the line of Seth came the serpent crusher that Cain was not. And that this serpent crusher, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was murdered by religious people just like Abel was. You see there the parallel between Jesus and and Abel? But like we've celebrated this morning, Jesus did that on purpose for us, taking our death in our place And living today to offer grace 
and mercy to everyone who repents and turns to him in faith. So the story of Cain and Abel is really simple. It's the story of all of us. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of sinners being given another chance. It's a story of us being shown mercy. (coughs) And we have already tasted and celebrated the mercy of God this morning. And all I want us to do here as we close is to head out into this week that each of us is about to go into, treasuring and cherishing the mercy of God. I hope that this story helps each one of us feel what a gift it is to be alive. See, when we look through the Bible, we see stories where people sin and God just strikes them dead instantly. And the question is not, why does God do that? The question is, why hasn't God done that with me? Why has God let me sin the way I have in my life and I'm still here? God is so merciful to us. He's so merciful to us. Be amazed by that. And you know some weeks I close off the message with like a really practical, like do this this week or try this. And those, those are good and those are important. But you know, you know what, what's here for us today is I just, want, I just want us to be amazed by God's mercy. And you know what will really make a difference in your week? Okay, so here we go. Here's the practical thing this week. Wake up every day knowing that you deserve to be in the grave and you're not. That changes how you approach your day, doesn't it? That changes how you complain about things or don't complain about things. That changes how you offer yourself to God when you know I should be dead for what I've done and I'm alive by God's mercy. Not just alive, but I've I've been forgiven and I have the hope of eternity ahead of me. I've got all these blessings God's given us in Christ Jesus. Be amazed at the mercy of God and watch what that does to your heart and your life as you follow him. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing His Mercy is More and may this be our anthem this week. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Cain and Abel and thank you for this display, God, of your mercy. Oh Lord, in Cain's sin, we see our own. We see ourselves. We we know, Lord, what we deserve. We know what we've done. Lord, may this be a morning where we willingly repent of our sin to you. Jesus, to think that you came like a much greater able and were murdered by the religious people in our place to to pay for all of those things that we've done. And that today, Lord, we're alive to experience your grace, to experience each other, to, to live as we go home now, Lord, and eat lunch, as we, as we bite that food, may we know that this is a gift from you that we don't deserve. As we breathe in lungfuls of air, as we look up at the sky, all of these gifts, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would receive thankfulness from us. And then out of that thankfulness would be faith. And out of that faith would come obedience. Thank you so much, Lord. Your mercy is amazing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.